All right. Well, we're beginning a brand new series today called Rhythms. And it feels like a natural time for us to be doing something like this because school started, you know, kids are back in school, fall is here, and fall just kind of, it's, it's the start of a new season. And it just seems like everything is kind of restarting. Uh, we establish new rhythms for our life. And so it's kind of a natural time for us to talk about new rhythms for our everyday life. And the the series that we're going to be in for the next several weeks is based on the book uh, called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Fantastic book. I would highly recommend it. In fact, we're going to give away this copy right now. So first person to hold up their cell phone receives a copy of this book. We've got more copies to give away throughout the series. Yay! You're welcome. Enjoy. So we'll give away a book every week of this series. So if you didn't get it today... Be ready next week. You know, we'll do something else to, that you can, you know, win one of these books. Um, and if you don't end up winning one, you can find them pretty easily. But it's a fantastic book. I highly recommend it. Uh, it's a book that's very challenging, that challenges the way that we think, the way that we live. Uh, because we live a hurried existence. If we're honest with ourselves, we, we're all just so busy. I mean, ask anybody how they're doing, and they always follow up with, well, I'm good, but busy. If you ask to do something with any of your friends, family, they usually say, that's great, I'd love to do that, but I'm just too busy. I'm just so busy. And we say that over and over because, as I said, we live a hurried existence. And we have more options today to do just whatever we want to do than at any other point in history. I mean, think about it. You've got school, you've got work, kids need to go to sports practice, uh, the drama practice, there's all these extracurricular activities. Add to that family, friends, Things that need done around the house, laundry, making meals, cleaning. I mean, who has time to clean? Especially, you know, we've got a toddler in our house, and it seems like it's her mission every day to destroy whatever we put back the day before. Just get it all out and play with it. We're constantly connected on social media. So there's a constant scroll. I mean, you get on Amazon Prime, you get on Netflix, and you scroll for hours trying to find something to watch, and you turn it off and say, oh, there's nothing to watch, because there's just so many options. In fact, uh, we're suffering from what uh, sociologists call, uh, I, just, I just lost my train of thought, um, we're, we're, we're suffering from fatigue because of the, the result of all the decisions that we have to make. Think about that. We have more options, more decisions to make than ever before. We have deci decision fatigue, and so end up just not making very many decisions at all. But work is always on because of our devices. I mean, we get phone calls, we get texts, we get Facebook messages, we get emails after we leave work for the day, and people expect us to respond. Um, and if we don't respond right away, they follow up with another phone call, another email, another text. And maybe that's a decision that you've made to allow those things into your life, or maybe it's a decision that's been forced on you. Maybe you're short-staffed at your job, and so you have to pick up extra shifts, and so you're just constantly running ragged. Did I mention that we live a hurried existence? We're hurrying from one thing to the next to the next. And I get it. I mean, preparing for this sermon, I thought I'd have plenty of time. And in fact, it seemed like life just sped up. I mean, produce from the garden was ready, so I had tomatoes to can. You know, everything was, was ready at the same time. I worked two jobs. I got a family. Did I mention we're having a baby in a week or two? And so the baby's room has to get ready, I mean, but it's our second kid, so, like, you know, we should be good, right? My wife isn't convinced, so I've, I've got to get the baby's room ready in addition to, you know, everything else going on in life, and we're just so busy. I get it. 
I understand, I feel the weight, I feel the pressure of all that. Contrast where we are today to where we were back in the early part of 2019 and through mid-2019, or no, 2020, sorry, wrong year, because 2020 just didn't exist uh, last year. You know, it was the year when everything shut down because of COVID. Some of you were sent to work from home, and if you didn't work from home, you kept going to your job. But we were all forced to slow down to some degree because nothing was open. You couldn't go out to eat. Maybe you get takeout, but that's just not the same. You couldn't go hang out with family and friends the way that you used to. You couldn't go see a movie. You couldn't do all these other things that we love to do. And for some of you, it seemed like it was the first time in a long time that we finally got to catch our breath. We finally learned what it meant to actually breathe and to be a human being. But then last year, when everything opened back up, we went right back to the pace that we had before the pandemic. It's like we never learned anything from our forced slowdown. In fact, I think life has picked up even faster. It's kind of like we're on a merry-go-round. How many of you rode on a merry-go-round as a kid on a playground? Raise your hand. Yeah. Uh, my elementary school, we had three merry-go-rounds, uh, and it was like the highlight of, you know, recess time. You get on the merry-go-round, and you recruit, like, you know, that biggest kid uh, on the playground to come push it for you, or maybe the recess aide, and they start pushing. And, if, you know, the first couple turns are a little bit hard, but then as you gain momentum, it gets easier and easier as the merry-go-round goes faster and faster and faster. With each turn, it, makes, it picks up speed, it gains momentum. And before long, you're holding on to dear life because you feel like you're going to be thrown off this thing. And that feels what our life, that, that's a good illustration for what our life feels like sometimes. Like if we could just slow down, if we could just catch our breath, but we can't because we're just going so fast and fast and fast. It feels like we're going to be thrown off. We're living in an age that's just getting faster and faster. We're constantly connecting, and it's co constantly connected, and it seems like it's only going to get worse unless we change some habits. Did I, did I mention that work is always on, that our phones follow us everywhere? I mean, do you remember when you had a phone and it stayed in your house? Does anybody still have a landline? Nobody has a landline. Even you watching a line, type landline in the comments. Nobody has a landline anymore. We all carry our phones in our pockets with us everywhere. We can be reached 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How many of you want to go back to the day when you had a phone that lived in your house, you left for the day and came back and you listened to your answering machine and you know, caught up on phone calls then? That if you didn't want to be reached, you just took the phone off the, the, you know, the receiver and it just sounded like it was busy uh, to anybody that called. Um, you know, we're constantly connected. We live a hurried existence. We're constantly tired. We try to rest and we never get recharged. We take a vacation thinking that that's going to fix us, but then we come back from vacation even more tired than when we left for vacation. We're always speeding from one thing to the next. We're always impatient with people behind us on the road or in front of us. We're impatient with people at the grocery store. We're impatient with people online. And John Mark Comer in his book says this, that how we spend our time is how we spend our lives. It's who we become or don't become. Think about that. Let that question or that quote sink in. How we spend our time is how we spend our lives. 
is the time that you're spending how you want to spend your life. It's one of the, the ideas, the thoughts that's going to shape the rest of the series. And it, it shapes the, the book that uh, we're going to be working out of as well. We're always anxious because we keep going faster and faster. We don't have time to slow down to process things. And so we're all just running around with low-grade low anxiety. Anxiety is at an all-time high. Depression is at an all-time high. We're all one decision, one event, one thing away from being pushed over the edge on, to burn out. I meant, I, I'm going to come back to anxiety. The average middle and high school student today has the same level of anxiety as a psych patient from the 1950s. And we consider that normal. That's not normal. That's not healthy. And it doesn't show any signs of getting, better, getting any better. This is the number one issue that students face above bullying. You know, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, we were talking about bullying. And now we're talking about anxiety because that's the thing that our kids, our teens are, are dealing with today. There's pressure on them to, to perform, to make the right team, to get the right grade, to get into the right school, to take the right um, you know, classes ahead of time that's going to set them up for success once they get into college and later in life. There's a pressure then to, to fit into the right crowd, to post the right stuff on social media, to look the right way, to have the right filter, uh, to make the right TikTok video, video that's gonna go viral. There's add to that, you know, the constant threat of being canceled for just being a teenager, for making bad decisions, for doing stuff that we all make mistakes, for, that we all do at some point in our life. And so we, we run around frantic from one thing to the next, anxious, burnout. How we spend our time is how we spend our lives. Is, are those the people that we want to be? And in the middle of all this, we want to grow in our faith. We want to have a deep relationship with God. We want to have a deep relationship with the people around us to be present with them. But let's be honest, who actually has time for those things? There's laundry that needs to be done, and maybe if it makes it out of the dryer and into a basket, that's good enough, um, let alone like trying to fold it. Like, who has time to fold clothes anymore? Uh, we have meals to make or pick up. There's kids that need ran from this practice, the next practice, then your family things like that. And so what ends up happening is we end up saying a quick prayer as we drive our kids or as we head out the door and saying, God, you know, please help my kids' team to win, help nobody get hurt, and help me to be a more patient person. Amen. But that doesn't really cut it. That doesn't help us to grow any deeper in our relationship with God or any deeper in our relationship with ourselves. And so maybe the life that we're living isn't the life that we want or the life that we're meant to live. John Mark Comer in his book tells a story about one of his mentors, John Ortberg. And John Ortberg was asking his mentor, Dallas Willard, a question. Don, uh, John at the time was a, uh, a pastor, a, a writer, and you know, was pretty famous at the time. And, he, and John Ortberg asked his mentor this. He says, what do I need to do to become the me I want to be? What is it that I need to do to become the best version of myself? And Dallas Willard paused and said this. He said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And then he paused again. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life of our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. That's such a powerful statement, powerful quote. Because as I mentioned, we live a hurried existence. We keep going from one thing to the next, to the next. 
failing to catch our breath, tired, worn out, burnout. And so we need a different way. We need to do something different, to get off this merry-go-round that we call life, to find a way that we can truly live. And we keep trying different ways, and none of them seem to be working. So maybe what we need is not just a different way. Maybe we need a better way. We need a better way to live. A way to be intentional about slowing down. A way that helps us to stay grounded in the middle of our life. What we need is what the ancients called a rule of life. And a rule of life is, a, is an intentionally scheduled set of daily practices and relational rhythms that root us or ground us in the way of Jesus. So it's about intentionally scheduling these things that are just a daily habit, a relational rhythm that ground us, that root us in the way of Jesus, in our faith. Because how we spend our time is how we spend our lives. So is the way we're spending our time, the way we're spending our lives, how we want to live? Is it bringing about the best version of ourselves? I don't know about you, but when I look at that question, I usually say no. Because I don't want to be impatient with people. I don't want to end up burned out. I don't want to have to work extra hours and neglect my family. I want to be present with those around us, with those around me. And unless we stop and take an account of where we're at, unless we just be intentional about evaluating where we are, nothing's going to change. The frenetic pace of life is going to continue to pick up and drag us along with it unless we pump the brakes and do something drastically different. And that's what the series is designed to do. Today's kind of an introduction to that. The following weeks, we're going to get really practical about, okay, here's something that we can do every single day or every week to help root us, ground us in the way of Jesus. And I believe that Jesus offers us a better way. And I know some of you in the room or watching online might be thinking, well, come on, what does Jesus really know about being hurried? I mean, he lived 2,000 years ago before the internet, before cell phones, before, you know, we had cars or anything to get anywhere fast. I mean, it took Jesus three days to walk, you know, a short distance. What does Jesus know about fast, about our lives today? And I would agree that Jesus didn't know the stress of daily life that we experience today. But I think Jesus knew something about our insatiable desire to keep going, to keep working, to not rest, to always keep pushing from one thing to the next to the next. And I think Jesus had something to say about it. So if you brought a Bible um, or a phone, open up your Bible app to Matthew chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be in verses 25 through 30. Now before this passage, let me just catch you up as to where we, uh, what happened before this passage. So prior to uh, Matthew 11:25, Jesus sent his disciples out to do the work of ministry. And he equipped his disciples to do all these incredible signs and wonders, these things that were evidence that God's kingdom was finally coming on earth. Things like healing the blind, helping the lame to walk, casting out demons, and on and on these miracles went. And the disciples, they went out and did that, and then they came back to Jesus. And at the same time, John the Baptist, who is Jesus' cousin, who is sent to prepare the way for Jesus, for the Jewish Messiah, he had been in prison because, well, he wasn't a very popular guy with the king, King Herod. And Herod had him arrested and put in prison. And John's disciples came to John in prison and told John all these things that Jesus' disciples had been doing. And John had a question. 
and he sent his disciples back to Jesus to ask Jesus this question. The question was, are you the one that we've been waiting so long for? Because I'm in prison. It's not great, and it doesn't seem like you're the Messiah, because if you were the Messiah, I mean, come on, you'd overthrow Rome. Everybody knows that. And Jesus goes through the Old Testament with John's disciples and goes through all these prophecies about the Messiah and how Jesus had fulfilled those things. And John's disciples then go back and Jesus turns to the crowd that was with them and begins to tell them, look, my kingdom has come. And it's for the weak, the lowly, the oppressed people of this world, and yet those who have studied it can't recognize it. That's where we're going to pick up in verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. And so Jesus was talking about the, the signs that he had done, the signs that his disciples had done, uh, of you know, helping the, the lame to walk, the blind to see, demons being cast out, people being set free. Of these things that we read about in the, King, or in the Sermon on the Mount, of blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And Jesus was fulfilling those things. But yet it wasn't revealed to the people that should have known, the people that had studied the Old Testament, that knew the law, that knew all these things that should accompany the arrival of the Messiah. Instead, God chose to reveal them to to little children, to the widow, the orphan, the oppressed, those that were least likely in society of that day to have the kingdom made known to them, to be announced to them. And then Jesus continues on. He says, all things have been committed to be by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, to those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. I know it's kind of confusing, but let's just unpack that a little bit. Jesus says, all things have been committed or given to me. All authority have been given to me. And who gave me that authority? My Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God. And he's the only one that truly knows the Father. And he is the only one that can help people to know the Father because he has that relationship with him. And the only people that can know the Son is to those whom he chooses to reveal himself, to make himself, his ways, his kingdom known to them. And it's important that Jesus has been given all authority. We're going to come back to that idea. But all authority has been given to him because he is the son of God. To which any religious leaders or overly zealous people in the crowd would have thought Jesus was committing blasphemy. Who was it that this man should claim to be the son of God, of Yahweh, the God of the Israelite people? No one could claim that unless it was the Messiah. And here Jesus was saying, look, I am the long-awaited one. I am he, and I'm here. My kingdom is here. And Jesus continued on. He says this in verse 28. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to me. It's an invitation to person, an invitation into a relationship with Jesus, with the Son of God, who has been given all authority from his Father in heaven, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened. And he was saying this to a crowd who was oppressed by the Roman Empire, not just by taxation, but by how they ruled, the military presence. The loss of their cultural identity was being stripped away from them. 
Add to that the fact that they exacted a very high tax rate from the Jewish people. And on top of that, the Jewish tax collectors could collect whatever they wanted in addition to the regular taxes, and that would be considered legal. This people was wearied and burdened, burdened by the religious system of the day that was very hard to, to keep, to maintain, to understand, to keep all the laws of, of God. And Jesus says to them, come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened. And Jesus says that to us today. He says, come to me. How many people in the room or watching online would say, I'm burdened? I'm tired. I'm worn out. I just need a rest. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me all. It's an invitation for everyone to come under Jesus, to become one of his apprentices, to become a disciple, a follower of Jesus, to come to me. The next part is, and I will give you rest. Because if you're tired and burdened and weary, you want rest. That's what you want more than anything. I just want rest. I want to be able to breathe, to live, to catch my breath, to take a long nap and feel refreshed. Come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus wants to give you rest. He wants to give his followers rest. It's his authority. Remember, Jesus said, all authority, everything has been committed to me by my Father. All authority has been given to me to now give you the rest of my Father in heaven. The shalom, the wholeness, the completeness of God. To give you the peace of God as your rest. It's my authority. Receive it. Contrast that with what we're often taught in church, with maybe how some of you were taught. You know, work heartily as unto the Lord. Do all things without, um, you know, grumbling or complaining, but do everything unto the Lord. And so we use that as an excuse to keep working, to work after we've left work for the day, to neglect our families. And we say, well, you know, I'm just working hard because that is what honors God. Or maybe you've been told, well, the devil never takes a day off, so why should I? I must have that in a crazy accident because I, that's what I envision people saying whenever they say that. The devil never takes a day off, so why should I? Last I checked, we were never following the devil. So why should we use that as an excuse? You know, we often talk about accepting God's love, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, but we never talk about accepting God's gift of rest. It's Jesus' authority to give us the rest, the shalom, the peace of our Father in heaven. How many of you have ever tried to give somebody a gift? Maybe you knew somebody that needed financial assistance, and so you tried to help them out. Maybe you tried buying them groceries, or maybe you offered somebody a form of hospitality, and they wouldn't accept it. Because there's a little bit of pride there in saying, I, I need something, I need rest, and accepting a gift. How did that make you feel when that person or people rejected your gift. Chancellor, you probably felt slighted, and sometimes I wonder that's how God feels whenever we reject his gift of grace. Because Jesus said that he has come to offer us life to the full, life abundant, life overflowing and running out of the cup. But instead, so often we say, no, nah, I'm fine just living a life that's empty and poured out and just tired and meaningless. So come to me and I will give you rest. 
And then Jesus says this. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. Can you bring, bring up the yoke, Phil? Notice Phil's grunts as he uh, brought that up here on stage. Thank you, Phil. You did well. This is a yoke. A yoke is meant to uh, harness two oxen. This is an ox yoke. There's different you know, harnesses for horses, but this is meant for har- you know, using a team of oxen to bear a burden. Usually to pull a cart or plow a field. And so this would go around their necks. Uh, they would pull against it by their shoulders, so it would be you know, cut into their shoulders. And it made getting things done pretty efficient back in the day. Um, this is a modern-ish yoke. By modern, I'd say like late 1800s, early 1900s before tractors. But yokes since the time of Jesus hadn't changed much. They looked similar to this. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. This is a heavy thing. Take my yoke. Uh, if we had you know, a couple teens, I'd like to see them you know, try to put this on. It'd be a fun game at youth group. Uh, but we're not going to do that today. Um, Jesus says, come take my yoke upon you. Because implying that his yoke is different. Because he was just talking about rest. Implying that his yoke brings rest. This idea of a yoke was also a metaphor for the teaching that rabbis had. You know, Jesus was a rabbi and there were other rabbis. And they had their own yoke or their set of teaching. And to be a disciple meant that you were living every single day with your rabbi. In fact, it said that the, the um, disciples of the rabbis would literally be covered in the dust of their rabbi because they walked so close to him. And so they would follow him every single day and learn, you know, try to figure out how he lived out the law, the Torah of God. And in addition to that, these rabbis had um, like commentary, running commentary on the law of God. And so there were 613 different laws in, you know, the Old Testament. And on top of that, they had laws upon laws to help them keep these other laws. And so it was kind of like a, an oral tradition, a commentary called Midrash. And it kept growing and getting passed down from um, one rabbi to the next to the next. And each rabbi would add to it. And so this is a commentary on the book of Matthew. It's actually a pretty small commentary. There's bigger commentary sets. And I have an entire New Testament commentary because I like books. Anybody else like books? And so this takes up about two and a half feet of space on my bookshelf. It's a pretty heavy set of commentaries. And so the rabbis would, would stack up their commentaries, all these additional laws on top of the law of God. And that was their yoke. And Jesus says, take my yoke, because my yoke is different. My yoke brings rest. Jesus continues on. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For I am gentle and humble in heart. I'm not like the religious leaders of the day because they're not gentle. Later on, Jesus would go on to say that, uh, critiquing the religious leaders, that they tie up burdens too heavy for people to bear, and they themselves are not even willing to lift even their smallest finger to help bear that burden. Jesus is saying, I'm different. I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. Take my yoke upon you, and you will find rest for your soul. For the deepest part of who you are as a human being, you will find rest. You will find rest that nothing can give you, 
that no thing, no object can give you. You will find rest that scrolling through Netflix isn't going to give you, that scrolling through social media isn't going to give you. You will find the rest that working more hours isn't going to give you because Jesus can give you true rest because it is his to give. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. Come take upon you my yoke. It's light. It's not like the yoke of the other rabbis. It's different. My, my law is, is different. It's simple. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's so simple, yet the demands are so high because we're called to love everyone that's made in God's image. And what does love require of me? Well, that depends on the situation. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the suffering servant, that he is willing to suffer with and for his people. He desires to bear the burden with you. He himself isn't willing to to lay this yoke on us and then walk away. Instead, he says, no, step into my yoke because I'm going to be there with you. And it's that way that leads to rest. It's so different than the yoke of the other rabbis that doesn't lead to rest. It leads to being burdened and worn out, tired. It's so different than the yoke that our culture lays on us of all these expectations, of all the things that we have to do. It's so different than the yoke that social media companies lay on us, that the device manufacturers lay on us, and there's no sign that they're going to help us break our addiction to it. Because after all, we're the ones being bought and sold, not our devices. We're the commodity. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, apprentice under me. Become my disciple, and you will find true rest for the deepest part of who you are as a human being made in God's image. Come to me and find shalom, find completeness, find the wholeness of God and of creation. Find the wholeness that you were meant to be from before time began. Find the rest, like I said, that that all these other things can't give us. Find the rest that a week of vacation can't give you. Find the rest that a conservative or progressive vision of the future isn't going to give us. Find the rest that mindfulness or yoga can't give us. None of these things are bad, but they can't give us the true rest that we need because, let's be honest, we've tried these things and they haven't given us the rest that we desired. Because how we spend our time is how we spend our lives. And if we keep on hurrying through our life, what kind of an existence is that? Is that really how you want to spend the rest of your life? Rushing from one thing to the next, impatient with those around us? Jesus offers us a better way, a different way. He offers to come into it with us to help bear the burden of his yoke because we will find rest for our souls because Jesus is that better way that leads to rest. And this is important because how we spend our lives is how, or how we spend our time is how we spend our lives. And how we're spending our lives currently isn't leading to human flourishing. It's not leading to the flourishing of my soul or the flourishing of your soul. So come to Jesus. Apprentice under him. Take on his yoke. Become his disciple. So this week... Today, I want you to maybe carve out five minutes. That can be just at home in the morning, maybe while you're driving. And just reflect on where you're at in your life. Why am I so hurried? Why am I so stressed out? Why am I so anxious? 
Why am I so overwhelmed? And what would it look like for me then to bring those things under the easy yoke of Jesus, to become his apprentice, his disciple? Because unless we stop, unless we're intentional about evaluating where we're at, nothing is going to change. We're going to continue to end up burned out, worn out, and tired. And that's not the life that Jesus desires for us to live because, as he said, he said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. So Jesus offers us a better way. So imagine for a second how freeing it might feel to throw off the, the yoke that we're carrying from our culture, the yoke that's maybe family expectations have laid on you or you know, the, the expectations at work or the expectations at school are laying on you and weighing you down, the expectations of social media. If you could just cast that off and take on an easy yoke, Imagine how freeing that would be. Imagine then for a second how much different of a person you would be, how much better of a spouse you'd be, how much more pleasant you'd be to be around at work with your family, how much better of a a friend you'd be to people if you could just throw off those heavy yokes. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest because Jesus is the way that leads to rest and his lifestyle can bring us rest. So take some time this week and evaluate. Next week, we're going to get real practical on some steps that you can take. But in the meantime, if you want to get started early, just go ahead and text NEXT to 330-868-6888. Our time here is about to end. As soon as we sing the last song and get up and head out the door, it's off to the races again. Okay, as well, practices to get to, kids to, you know, games to run to. There's meals, dinner plans. So as you walk out the door, think, is this life I'm living the life that I want to live? And if not, then maybe it's time to make a change. Because we need a way that leads to rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. That you are the way that leads to rest. Lord, we are so desperate to experience the rest of our Father in heaven. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us the humility to accept your Father's gift of rest, that we wouldn't be too proud to receive it. But instead, Father, we would come under your easy yoke, your yoke that brings us true life, that you'd open our eyes and help us to have understanding and and just self-awareness this week of where we need to make a change, those things that maybe we need to cut out of our life, out of our schedules, so that we can live different so we can become the best possible versions of ourselves because we need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives but I thank you that your kingdom is here, that it is present, that it is now in your name I pray, amen